Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Jamis. For the last time, welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the Director of Technical Service himself, Mr. Paula, I mean, wait, no, he's not Paula anymore. We fed that horse. That's His name right. is Paul. Wait for it to Jameis. And Paul, here we are. Episode 200. And, you know, Jack, it's it, it's a little bittersweet. It is. We are uh, sitting back in the same, shall we say, studio. If you want to call it that. Yeah. yeah. That, that Where we started. Yep. Um, kind of come full circle. What? Almost four-ish years? Yeah, I said three years last time, but it's, yeah, it's, it's like three and a half. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's been fun. Yeah, it has. It has. We've had. I've had a really good time doing this, and and enjoyed where we've brought it. And it's been a great opportunity to be able to help educate people and and you know pass along information. So what I will say is, let's not dwell on the. Uh, we're going away for a minute because we're coming back. Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have a bigger uh, look for your social media feeds. This this feed will continue, so don't unsubscribe. Right. Because when we come back, I think it's gonna be about two months. We're looking April ish. Yeah. So what we wanted to do is uh, take some time and and look back over the last three and a half years. We've had some ups, we've had some downs, we've had some fun. Yep. And I think a good place to start off, if if you haven't listened to all of our episodes with me and Paul, is we used to come up with creative ways to pick topics. Right. It got us in trouble. A little first, bit. First with EH&S. Yeah. Then yeah. with HR, and yeah. that, that will come later. Yeah. But we're going to start where we decided to shoot our executive vice president of fireproofing, Jim Rippey, out of a cannon to select a topic. So here's that clip. All right, so we're out here in a field, and uh, unlike previous vice presidents who we've had on the show, or should I say vice president that we've had on the show, uh, Jim uh, is ready to play ball. So, uh, Jim, you got your helmet on? I do have my football helmet on. All right. So he's all loaded up. He's in all of his safety gear, so I don't. we don't need to hear anything from any of our safety-conscious people. Yeah, we, we have gone ex- through training. Extensive training for this and uh what we are lucky enough to have uh you know uh, paul has a, a distant cousin like a fourth cousin is a carney all right <laughs> so we have uh his name is paula um paul's fourth cousin paula and uh he's loaning us a circus cannon so if any of you have ever seen this before back where they shove somebody into the cannon they put their helmet on them they got them all ready and they launch them across and they land in a net Based on our extreme scientific calculations, we believe the gym is going to go about 100 feet in the air. (laughs) And so we have put these canvas bags out there to be able to catch him. Hopefully he lands on one of the canvas bags. Hopefully our range is right. Well, I mean, he was a D1 basketball player. He might fly right over the whole thing. (laughs) Guys, I am 6'3". Will I fit in the can? Well, oh, yeah. uh, we'll shove you, you in there. We, we'll push. We'll push until <laughs> we get you all the way in. So, all right. So, what we got, we got four topics out on those canvas bags. We have one that's intumescent fireproofing, uh, one that's concrete additives, one that is uh, the new fireproofing building, and then uh, some firework safety. 
hopefully we land on a topic that Jim knows about and we can continue on with the show and uh, talk with Jim about the topic. So, Jim, are you ready for this? I'm ready to rumble. All right. Are you, you all the way up there? Are you ready to start climbing in? I'm halfway in. It, nice, tight fit. Get all the way. You got to get... Push. Okay, right. move your arms up. Put your arms up. I got them up. I got them up. All right. I look like Superman. All right. So here we go. We're going to... Uh, yeah, okay, ready? Good. Ready? I'm gonna push one more time on your head. Oh, not so hard, Paul. <laughs> All right. Now. Now the gym is securely in the cannon. Paul, are, are you ready just, to break podcast history? We should just leave. Oh, we could. We, we could just could, leave. We could man. leave. Yeah. Don't uh, leave me here, please. I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> All right. So, All right. You ready to ignite? Yeah. Here we go. In three, two, two one. one. Oh, All right, let's run over there and see what we got. Huh. Jim, are you dead? <laughs> kind of. Are you? How you feeling? I think I broke my arm. <laughs> you gonna gonna have some uh, ibuprofen in your future. So, just for everybody listening at home, he did land on one of the bags. He didn't stay on it, but he landed on it. He did this really neat like somersault thing. Yeah, it was, it was almost like a tuck al- and roll kind of thing. Almost looked coordinated. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think. Right. Well, it looks like. He landed on concrete coating. What? Well, I guess we can't talk to you about that. Um, yeah, uh... Maybe we'll just go ahead and talk about the fireproofing building. Yeah, I All think right. we should. I okay. Think we should. Boy, those were good times. That, that was fun. Uh, Jim's arm is better now. Yep. He was a good sport about all of it. Uh, Didn't hold us responsible for anything. Regular Super Dave, that Jim himself. Uh, That's right. So... Uh, moving on into a little bit more of a serious topic, galvanizing versus inorganic zinc. And in this clip, we're talking about when you want to top coat inorganic zinc or galvanizing. And so listen here, and we we talk about the drawbacks, advantages of each one of those when it comes to top coating. The last and final hammer, the biggest hammer of them all, Thor's hammer, if you will, for reasons to use inorganic zinc or galvanizing is, do you like the color of galvanizing? Because if you're ever going to top coat it, there is no reason on the face of the planet ever to pick galvanizing versus inorganic zinc if you're going to put a polyurethane or epoxy on it because it's a world of difference when you top coat the two. Right, right. The amount of surface prep required for a galvanized system is much higher than the amount of surface prep required for a liquid applied zinc coating. Well, yeah, you're going right over the liquid applied zinc coating. Right. However, with the galvanizing, you need to blast. Yeah. And there are products on the market, right? Yeah. That you don't. Right. Right. And all you have to do is go back to any episode that we've talked about service life and surface prep and together. So you could use a bonding primer. Yeah. But you're half, half your service life if you go bonding primer. And let's keep in mind, too. What's the environment? Yeah. You know, those differences might be inconsequential, but service life is always tied to surface prep. Mm -hmm. So even if you are using one of those bonding primers or one of those intermediate primers, that performance would be improved by more surface prep. Correct. Let's just real quickly run through this. You get your inorganic zinc. You're going to, if you're going to put an epoxy or urethane on it, you're going to make sure it's clean and dry. You're done. You're ready to go. 
Galvanizing, you have to remove any chemicals from the galvanizing process because there's usually a film. Yep. You have to mechanically abrade the surface. And because of the different things that you have to do, if you don't blast, your adhesion properties of your top coats aren't going to be as good. Right. And so like, if you like the look of galvanizing, there's nothing wrong with that. And you like silver, but like, if you ever want it to be anything other than silver or faded silver, it really doesn't make any sense. When people call in on the tech service line and they're asking about painting galvanizing and the first thing that I tell them is that they have to blast that really nice new expensive galvanizing <laughs> right. they put on there, usually doesn't go over very well. No, no, it doesn't. All right. So that was scintillating discussion that we had there in that episode. But really, Are you allowed to say that word on this podcast? I, I think I can. It's, it's not that big of a word. And uh, I think it'll get through the censors. We'll have to find out. Maybe HR will have to come in later and tell us something. But uh, after such a high-level discussion as we have had about galvanizing and inorganic zinc, really, this next one is a classic. I loved the way this came about, and it was so natural coming out of Jack. So here's this next clip for you. I feel like the spheres are the most photogenic of all the storage tanks. I, I really think the spheres are really cool and uh, look really pretty. So there, there's my marketing guy influence to the, this conversation. And Paul, on with the technical stuff. The, the tanks are pretty. That's yes. Jack's contribution. Yes, that is. Uh... <laughs> Jack's opinion is the spheres are pretty. Uh -huh. <laughs> spheres are pretty, especially from an aerial shot. All right, now that we've listened to that clip, if you'd like to have a t-shirt, go ahead and email us at technicalservice at carbline.com. That way we will have an evidence uh, of maybe convince the marketing department that we need those <laughs> spheres are pretty shirts. That's right. <laughs> All right, next we have one of our regular guests, Sean Younger. He's one of our fireproofing sales reps and uh, all around fireproofing expert. Yeah. So in this clip, we talk about the differences between some of the standards that are used and why that's important. The ASTM E119 does test those properties. Yeah, th and that's where a lot of confusion comes in. Is like, where's ASTM E119 versus E84? Again, the E84 is just a property of the material. The ASTM E119 is actual fire test certification, ran full scale at either UL, Intertech, with load applied. We're talking about testing full-scale columns, beams, beam assemblies, floor assemblies, roof assemblies. And it's full-scale, like I said, at either UL or Intertech. It's it's done with, with the load being applied because, these the you know, if you're testing uh, floor assemblies, the materials can fail by temperature, and they can also fail by the ability to carry the load. So there's like a deflection of that floor. Once it deflects to a certain point, that's when the test actually ends at that point. So that's where you're rated at. So similarly to other physical properties and certifications, I would say if you compared this to a potable water lining, you know, you can take that same coating in any of our coatings and we can run an abrasion test on it. We can get a quantifiable number. This is the abrasion resistance that this coating has. It's the same way with E84. You get that index number, gives you a comparison to all the other coatings, and that's really what it does. But when you go into the E119, now you're certifying it for use, kind of like if you had a potable water coating. You you know, all the coatings you can test for abrasion, just like you can E84, but not all of them are going to be certified 
to that that in use. As you heard Sean talk about the extensive level of testing that happens in order to pass this, you know, you have to have the load and all those things. These are not measures that should be taken lightly. They should actually, you know, if you are advertising our long ratings, you should have tested that via the E119, not the E84. A lot of confusion in the industry, but it is have to focus on everything has to be based on full scale ASTM E119 testing. So whether it has E84 and has a, a UL and signal on the bucket, always make sure that the product that's specified for a structural steel fire resistance rating, which is what we're talking about with ASTM E119, must have an actual UL or Intertech design, should be listed in some fire resistance directory that you could go back and reference that actual design online. All right. I let Paul introduce spheres are pretty, <laughs> but this next clip really gives you an introduction into the way my brain works or, or doesn't work <laughs> or doesn't work. Yes. Uh, I think yeah. I caught our guest, John Myers, a little off guard a with little this off one. guard there. And this uh, is the oldest clip that we're going to for actual content. If you want to call it that. Right. So yeah. here's this clip about aliens. And that's always one of the things that I tell people to kind of like wow them is that we'll do when we do chemical resistant linings, one of the things that we can handle is sulfuric acid. And that always is like a wower. But here's where the nerd sci-fi guy comes in. And for the last part of that talk here, all I was thinking of was, wow, so baked phenolics are good for acid service. And the aliens and aliens have acid for blood. So I wonder if their veins are somehow phenolic in nature. <laughs> well, that's a different than what I thought of that. <laughs> Did you ever expect that that's where this conversation was going, John? Not in the least. We have to do this again sometime. We, we absolutely do. All right. This next one features our market manager for water wastewater, Brian Cheshire. When Brian joined Carboline, we had him on fairly frequently. Brian has been a good sport. He's worked with us a lot. He's brought a lot of great information, and he's brought a, a wealth of technology and uh, services to our sales team and to our customer base of how they can look up things and what they can use and how they can evaluate their own water wastewater systems. Brian's been a great sport and a great asset to add to the team. Why don't we get into the breakdown of the interior, the inside coating system, sometimes called the ICS, as we look through this AWWA standard. Can you give us a little breakdown and briefly lay out some of the differences of these interior coating systems? Yeah, sure thing. One thing, too, I wanted to point out on these systems is that they all have to meet NSF 61. And after January 1, 2023, they'll need to meet NSF 600. But, but talking about the inside coating systems or the, you know, the ICS as, as it's referenced in the standard, ICS-1, it's a two-component epoxy system. And this is going to be a pretty basic system, very thin film. I mean, we're talking under 10 mils total. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of as you progress down, um, so ICS-2 would be similar materials, actually the same materials, but your thickness is going to be a little greater. Um, and this one is a, is a three-coat, two-component epoxy system. When you start getting into ICS 3 and 4, this is really when you start getting into, I would say, some of the more, more robust, thicker film materials. 
ICS-3 is, it can be applied direct to steel or over a primer, but it, it utilizes a high solids epoxy. Uh, they lay out a minimum of 96% solids, but we often see 100% solids epoxies in this. And you know, these are typically gonna be at, at the lowest 20 to 25 mils, some, sometimes even greater. But keep in mind too, that's gonna be dictated by the products in a separating. Kind of talking about ICS-4 being the other, I would say, you know, pretty robust thick film system. This one's going to utilize a, an aromatic polyurethane or a polyurea hybrid. Um, and th this is going to be applied minimum of 20, 25 mils, but often you're going to see these applied in even greater thicknesses. And really the last few, or, or the last two, uh, five and six, these are both going to utilize a, a zinc-rich primer, and then the difference between them is going to be the, the number of finished coats of epoxy over the top of it. So one of the things that you pointed out there, Brian, that I think is really important is that we reiterate these parameters, the, this guideline that's given out by AWWA still needs to conform to your ANSI NSF standard 61 testing requirements. And if you go to those websites, whether it be NSF or UL, whoever the agency is that does the testing, because we've covered this before too, many agencies can do that testing. It is not just NSF that does testing. A lot of places do it. When you go there, they will give you the criteria of what is your maximum film thickness, frequently what's the minimum film thickness. So those are the application parameters for this guideline that's given out by AWWA. You have to conform to both if you're going with one of these systems. One of the things that I found very interesting, and I still find interesting, you know, I've been in the industry for a really long time, and it, it still catches me is that, you know, when we talk about thick film coating systems, it's it's 20 mils. When you bring that into real life, that's like barely thicker than a business card. You know, a business card's about 15 mils. So think about that, that we put a three coat system on to protect the interior of a tank, and it's about the thickness of a uh, business card and it performs great. All right, now that we have a better understanding of AWWA D102 Ensign Systems 1 through 4, uh, we'd like to take you to one of the voicemails <laughs> that we got from HR. You heard us shoot Rippy through a cannon. Well, this one came after we decided to play a little bit of bow and arrow chicken. I was going to say this was bow and arrow chicken, which, you know, if you remember back before that, I think uh, you threw a knife, which just barely missed my head. Yeah. You know, some of these, this be a little teaser. Go back and listen to some of the other episodes if you hadn't heard that one. If you don't remember that episode, that was a fun one. We had a few other shenanigans that we went through and how we picked them, but this was one of our uh, reprimands that we got during that series. Hi, Jack. It's Ashley from Human Resources. Again, arrows, really? You shot arrows straight into the air and waited for them to come back down? You guys really thought this was okay? We're going to have to have a meeting with executive level management to determine how we're going to be able to handle this situation. On another note, Jack, I'm going to need you to stop calling Paul Paula before this turns into a workplace harassment situation. You certainly can't go broadcasting name-calling in a public forum like the podcast. Thanks. Ugh, I swear it's like dealing with children. Man, I love being called a child by HR. <laughs> you know, we're flipping back and forth between shenanigans and serious. Yeah. and kind of the theme of what we've done for the last 200 episodes. We always want to find the balance. Paul. That's right. Anyway, 
Paul and I have talked a lot about CUI over the years. That's corrosion under insulation or coatings under insulation. I've heard both used. And we discussed the ISO specification, which is 19277. In CUI3, it's a higher temperature range. And so we wanted to talk about uh, the lack of the uh, corrosion cell at that temperature range. It's the ISO 19277, and that is uh, the Petroleum, Petrochemical, and Natural Gas Industries Qualification Testing and Acceptance Criteria for Protective Coating Systems Under Insulation. You can tell that this was a large group of people who put a title together like oh, it's, that. It's a long title. It's yeah. a mouthful. But it does give us some more specifications and some more things to look at. We wanted to compare it a little bit to the SPO 198, but... Let's talk a little bit about the ISO 19277, Paul. You know, Jack, one of the first things that I noticed as I was looking through the categories here, you know, they have it listed as their general ones of CUI, one, two, and three. They really do line up well with the NACE SPO 198 classifications of one, three, and four. Sure. And in those categories, they all start at negative 45 degrees, which is the cryo, but the classification one... Yep, that brings you up to 60 degrees Celsius or 140 Fahrenheit. When you look at CUI 2 with the 19277, you're up to 150C or 300F. And then when you look at, that's the same as CS3, you know, for the carbon steel under insulation for the 198. And then category 3 is the same as category 4, that negative 45 to 204, 205 degrees Celsius. And then one of the things with this specification that they talk about is they don't really get into above 204 degrees Celsius. And why they don't do that is a couple reasons. We feel like you don't see that exposure a ton in this industry of under insulation higher. But then the last time we did this, Paul, you, you had a really good point about moisture presence at that temperature. That's right. Once you get above that 400-ish degree Fahrenheit temperature, that 204, 205 degrees Celsius, you're really not looking at wet surfaces. So you've eliminated that leg of the corrosion triangle. So if we don't have moisture, we're going to dramatically decrease the corrosion rate. And at these elevated temperatures, as long as it's continually operating at those temperatures, the moisture stays away. Now, if you're a cyclic condition, that's really where you start to see the accelerated corrosion, where it allows the moisture to penetrate down, it gets in contact with the surface, they cycle back up, now you're hot and in contact with the surface. And to bring us to a close on the Carboline Tech Service Podcast, I only think it's important to um, bring in one more of our uh, reprimands. And so this reprimand came from EHNS after we creatively threw uh, watermelons off the roof in an attempt right. to pick a topic. Yeah, it had a great sound. It it did make a great sound. It was great radio. <laughs> it's just been a great time of Jack and I being able to sit here and walk down this path with you, reminisce a little bit, and uh, we're going to take a well-deserved break and, you know, regather, re-energize, and come back with, with more energy and more excitement and more new stuff for you. Yeah, so thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the guests. Thank you to management who's put up with us. Right. Allowed us to do this. Uh, we couldn't have done it without any of you. We are uh, humble. Like we said uh, in a previous episode, I can't believe we got to episode 200. Right. And we are going to keep going and look for more from Carboline in the future. Until next time, for Paul, I'm Jack. We'll see you in a little bit. Hey guys, what's happening? 
is Bill from EHS again. I heard that you guys went up on the roof and threw a watermelon. Um, that's maybe not the most safe thing you, you can do. Um, it's also how you get ants. So if you could not do that again, that would be great. Um, also, one, one more thing. Could you not use my voicemails on your little podcast? It's it's not a it's not a great look. Thanks. <laughs>